listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today we have the wrap-up of the book club from uh, the last couple of months, and it's been a very good experience for a lot of people. I think we're like hitting our stride with this book club, which is awesome. Uh, so Rachel, what are we What are we discussing? What are we talking about? And we get to... We get to know our next book today, too, which is super exciting. We do. I have to start by giving a huge thank you and shout out to all the, I think, 54, 55 people who RSVP'd to our book club event. This was the best discussion yet, hands down. Like People were offering these really wonderful, insightful, thoughtful answers to all the questions that were out there. We were going back and forth, and I really came away with it deeper appreciation both for the book but also for the really big questions that it raises. Our book this time was Jacob Have I Loved by Katherine Patterson, the coming-of-age story of an of an older Esau-like twin on a tiny island community in the Chesapeake Bay. And it was really just a lot of well, fun is an interesting word for this book. We'll get into that <laughs> as we discuss it further. But yes, thank you to everyone who participated. If you didn't get a chance to participate this time, watch the Facebook group for the next event page. All you have to do is RSVP. You don't have to go anywhere, show up. It just means once you've clicked that, yes, I'm going, you'll get notifications when the discussion starts. And so you can participate next time. And And you can get to the shortcut to find the book club. There'll be a post tag. You can click on uh, the side of the page. You'll see events, and that will show you upcoming events. If the event has already started, you'll have to do an additional click to the calendar to find it because Facebook thinks that once events have started, they go away. And you can also, yes, go to the tag cloud and click book club for all related posts on the subject. Awesome. Easy peasy. So you ready to dig in? Yes. All right. (laughs) So I know we're going to talk a little bit about feelings later, but just (laughs) off the bat, what were your impressions of this book? I know we were sort of on the fence as to whether or not to go with it. And I think we were really glad we did, but go for it. What did, what did you think of it? It was a really easy read. The last several books that I've read have been, and I do audiobooks, so this is in, in time. Uh, the last several books that I've read have been like 10 hours, 15 hours, and they get really deep, and I have to be in the mood to to listen to them because I have to be emotionally <laughs> prepared. Uh, but this was, I mean, it was less than three hours. It was, I did it all in one sitting, and it, it was, it's just accessible, and it, it was a really great storyline, and I, I haven't read it before, I don't think. So it was, it was a nice story to read and a nice thing to be involved in for a little while, knowing that we'd discuss it too and, and to be able to, to chat about it afterwards. I, I really liked it. Yeah, I also, this was also the first time I had read it. I was sure that I had read it before, but almost immediately as I was reading it, I was like, no, there's no way I've ever read this before in my life. It was, But it was a Newbery Award-winning book, and I have read a lot of those. Growing up, my mom was a big fan of the Newbery book list as far as here you can pick out any books at the library you want but you'll always choose one Newberry as one of them (laughs) (laughs) I love your mom (laughs) we read we read lots but for whatever reason I never read that one and it was great I really enjoyed it 
I enjoyed it, but also there were there were the like the weird cringy parts in in on multiple levels. <laughs> but it was very effectively done. So I, I appreciated <laughs> that part of it. So I actually this is the second time I've read this book. The first time I read it, I was a sophomore in college, maybe. I had to read it for one of my English classes. I don't know that I really appreciated it then as much as I did reading it this past time. I will certainly reinforce what Sarah said. It is a very, very easy read, especially on audiobook. I I listened to it in one sitting. Like, I'm not even gonna... I There was no stopping point. I just... I kept going. It was it was a very easy read, very accessible, and kind of a simple read, but also like it, there's more to it that like if you if you take the time to go beneath the surface, it's so much more of a book than than you might think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's just a lot. It's I call it deceptively simple that you can sit and read <laughs> through it in you know three or four hours. And then three weeks later, you're still, you can't get it out of your brain. You're still thinking through the questions that are raised. Um, I read this book first when I was a teenager, I think in high school. And I picked it up just because it had an intriguing cover. And so I read it. (laughs) And at the time, I, well, I thought about it very differently then than I do now. Then I was a teenager. I was the older half of a pair of not quite Irish twins. I have a sister who's barely a year younger than me. And now I am the mother of a 15-year-old girl. (laughs) And so it was a very different perspective reading for me. And yet I still found myself easily sliding into the people and the places and the relationships that are so compellingly described. So I think we need to probably talk more about some of the questions that we went through in the group um because I, I just want to want to highlight and dig a little more deeply so Brie, you go first what question do you want to talk about so i picked question number one in the book club group in one sense jacob have i loved is not a hard book to read it's fairly short relatively accessible and perhaps deceptively simple in its plot and characterization In another sense, however, it is not at all an easy book to read. This plain, unadorned story, told mostly with plain, unadorned language, comes packed with emotional and spiritual intensity. Our first discussion question, then, will be the same, deceptively simple, but loaded with emotional content. How did this (laughs) book make you feel? I love talking about feelings. So Me I'm, too. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, you know, you look at the story of, of Sarah Louise and Caroline as like, I feel like Sarah Louise talks about her relationship with her sister as though she is the only one in the world who feels sort of these feelings of jealousy and resentment towards her sibling. And Mm -hmm. I think any of us with siblings can attest that we all at one point or another have felt those same feelings for our siblings. I, and one of the things that I, that I asked in the group was, well, why do we do that? Mm -hmm. I think we all do it to some degree. Who, who's mom's favorite, who, 
who garnered dad's favor this week. Like, who's the pretty one? Who's the pretty one? <laughs> it's tale as old as time itself that, you know, it, it's not a coincidence that the title of the book is Jacob Have I Loved, which is a direct call to the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible. In Genesis. Um, yeah, in Genesis. So this is not a new thing for any of us. So it, it really, it gave me pause because it it is so relatable. I feel like Sarah Louise, I relate to her on just about every level, even beyond her relationship with her siblings growing up. But it, 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 it causes me to really reflect on my childhood. Like, should I have pitted myself against my siblings? Did they feel the same way about me and just not express it? I'm still very intrigued to find out more about why kids do that. Yeah. Because I think mm-hmm. they all do, whether or not their parents are blatant about it or not. Yeah, and I think that sort of goes hand in hand. And I mentioned a, a touch on this just briefly uh, in the online discussion that teenagers are on this journey of self-discovery. And with that self-discovery comes a real kind of navel-gazing of I'm going to figure out who I am by looking very closely at myself. Um, but that comes sometimes with a little narcissism mixed in. And it usually <laughs> goes away after a while. But that narcissism can cause you to focus very much on both what's right about you and what's wrong about you and 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 allow some of these gnawing injustices to really eat at you in a different and and very hard way. This well, is and a even bo- then if if the if you are if you are fully self-absorbed at that point, you have no energy, you have no time to dedicate what someone what what your neighbor is doing, how your neighbor is feeling, how your neighbor processes things. Right. Empathy can be something you have to grow into. This this book for me made me feel I got to say it made me feel sad. I really wanted Sarah Louise to be able to see more clearly that her that her sister and her family they loved her. Maybe not in the way that she thought she wanted to be loved, but that she went through her teenage years consumed by a bitterness that she didn't actually have to carry. But that was not a feeling I had when I read it as a teenager. When I read it as a teenager, I was like, oh man, tell it Sarah Louise. That is so my life. Everyone hates me. My sister's the pretty one. Um, (laughs) Why am I such a loser? And now as the mother looking back, I just want to give Sarah Louise a big hug and tell her to get over herself. <laughs> so a very different different feeling toward the book now, but I love it just as much. Oh man. So here's a question. So you just said there's a she went through her teenage years with a bitterness she didn't have to carry. And I was, it just sort of made me think this moment like are there bitternesses? Are there like justified bitternesses? Or is is bitterness always something that is a burden we don't have to carry, but we sort of choose to carry? I don't know. It just when you said it, that's what popped into my head all of a sudden. Oh man, and this is what this book does. You like yeah. ask one question and another question pops in. Did she have to carry the bitterness? I don't she was she neglected? Maybe a little bit. 
Was she happy, healthy, had a family who loved her and cared for her? Yes. So did she have to be better? I don't know. Probably not. Do we have to be better? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> okay. In the we could talk about our feelings all day. In the interest of time though, <laughs> let's let's go to another question. Sarah or Aaron, you guys got one? Sure. I'll go with on uh, number question number two was about social isolation and how the island experience that is described in the book, how that resonates with what we've all been going through now these past several weeks, couple months now. Um, are there similarities or differences? I was thinking about it. And while, while there is social isolation on the island, I feel like it's in a lot of ways completely different. <laughs> Because in a way, it's even like a more intimate community uh, because it is this small group. And so you don't have the option to go to anyone else. You're going to be on top of each other and in each other's lives. Whereas the isolation that, and this is perhaps where it's uh, my experience is different than maybe, maybe some people's in that during these times of social isolation, I've been really, really quite literally physically isolated since I live alone. So I, I will see somebody else, you know, they, I, I would, I would spend time with, with friends and people who knew me for like maybe an hour and a half or so a week. Um, and that was spread out, not in, not in solid chunks. And so for families, though, who are in this social isolation, maybe that is a maybe that does get to more of a parallel with the the island living where you're just you're on top of each other all the time. And there's not really anywhere you can go to escape. (laughs) You can't even go out in the ocean (laughs) in a boat (laughs) by yourself. (laughs) So initially, when I read the question, I was like, no, there's there's no parallels at all. But you know, <laughs> I thought about it more. Yeah. Oh, there absolutely are. Um, <laughs> and I, I get it. Some people, you know, had had trouble making the connection. I am currently, you know, have been living for the last three months in a house with four children, both my parents and two dogs and now a couple of chickens. Um, <laughs> and there is... I I tell you that whatever the quality of relationship you bring into that kind of isolation is intensified. Mm -hmm. If you have a, if you have a family relationship that is marked by harmony is marked by affection, that is going to grow. If you have one that is marked by bitterness and resentment, that too is going to (laughs) grow. And that's what I saw happening in the book. Sarah just felt so trapped. Yeah. She knew she, she knew that there was a deep poison somewhere lodged between her and the relationship she had with her family. And she also had this feeling like if she could just get away and sort things out, that it would be good. And she couldn't. And that, I think, is a, an experience that people who have gone through social isolation in a tiny little family community over the last mm-hmm. couple of months, maybe that will resonate with them. It certainly did for me. Yeah, I'm glad, Erin, that you called it intimate. And I do I do think it's different because when you have that level of intimacy, I mean, this is not a shelter in place for three months situation. This is 
your your failures. Everybody know. I mean, think of Hiram Wallace. Everyone knows mm-hmm. your failures. You can never escape the mess ups that you have. Everyone knows your life. Everyone knows your secrets. And so, like, yeah, there's there's social isolation in terms of physical geography, but it's almost like the like Rass Island is like frozen in time. You're right. I love that moment where where she asks him where Sarah Louise asks Hyra and Wallace as he for years had been, you know, the butt of the joke where he had cut, been a coward and cut down his father's mast in a storm. And she asks, is it true? Did you do it? And he said, yes, it took me 20 minutes to cut it, hack it down and 50 years to put it back. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh-huh. you're right. This is a, this is a, a place where time stands still and, you better believe that 50 years later, Caroline is still remembered as this angel with the golden voice and Hiram Wallace as this cowardly loser who turned tail and ran, you know, and that you can't get away from it. I still find it curious, too, that she goes from a place of isolation in this island setting and then later in her life after she discovers who she really is and what she her purpose that she goes right back to a place of isolation in uh-huh. order to in order to be happy and finds fulfillment in a place with that's isolated. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, fan fiction style. I wonder <laughs> how much of that isolation on the island she created for herself and right. if it had been in a different situation, a different place, if she would have still felt so unworthy of people and felt so unloved until she figured out who she was because she discovered that she could be herself too. And that, and she could be loved in a place that was still isolated and maybe even more so because of the, the geographical location. Yeah. That she moves from this tiny Island in the Chesapeake to this tiny Valley in the middle of the Appalachian mountains. And and so she's just as isolated at the end as the beginning, but the relationships are healthy. She's in an isolated community with good there's, relationships, and that makes all the difference, right? Yeah, there's like a difference between closing yourself off and being isolated because you aren't letting anyone in mm-hmm. versus being open with that, you know, being open. Um, and so there's the the physical isolation that she had on the island and the limited people, but she also, she, she, didn't, she didn't let anyone in during that time, not until like it was the crisis moment. And then mm-hmm. she was finally opening up about how she was feeling about it and being honest about it. But, you know, even, even her friend that she considered him her friend call, but she wasn't open with him about any of herself. Mm-hmm. So lessons to take away into our own isolation is, you know, be open with the people around you, love them fiercely and know that the isolation can, you know, bring to light issues, but it doesn't always necessarily create those issues. They were just yeah. there waiting to be dealt with. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sarah, you got a question you want to talk about? Yeah. So question number five, sometimes there are truths that we simply cannot hear from those closest to us, especially our parents. For Sarah Louise, this becomes crystal clear during her conversation with the captain at the end of chapter 17. Pish, he tells her, rubbish, you can do anything you want to. For the first time in her life, the truth of that statement, which has been staring her in the face the whole time, actually sinks in. 
moving on to the question, looking back into your life, who were your Hiram Wallaces? Who once had you told you a hard truth or offered you a word of encouragement that you would have been unable or unwilling to hear from your own parents at the time? So I, had a, I actually had a hard time answering this one, um, trying to think through who had actually told me hard truths. I had several, you know, teachers and adults that would encourage me, but I don't know if there are a lot of people that told me hard truths when I was a kid. And maybe I've just have blocked all of that from my memory because it's so painful. <laughs> I, I think maybe if I would have asked myself this question 15 years ago, I may have a different answer. I was in a, in a, in a thread with uh, Cheryl talking about this um, and she felt the same way, maybe for different reasons because of our different upbringings, but that our husbands are actually people in our lives now because they're so close to us who have a way of telling you to get over yourself <laughs> um, and a way of speaking truth to you in a way that nobody else can because of that relationship and being able to to see you in a different light that other people that other people don't see and are able to uh, encourage you to do things that you either don't think you can do or that are outside of your comfort zone or you don't think you're capable of. So it how was it it was a was an odd question. I think some of it also I was and still am quite a perfectionist and I think when you have that mentality about yourself that you're already pushing yourself so hard to do things that from an outside perspective a lot of people may not think that you need to hear hard truths it's because true. <laughs> because you're so focused on doing your best and doing well and and being the best at whatever you're doing that that may people may think that you, maybe you don't need advice you already have it all figured out but i think on the inside of a lot of those people at least for me that perfectionist outside layer is actually a hard shell covering up all of the insecurities because you don't think you're good enough and so you keep pushing yourself to be the best when you actually think you're never going to be the best. I and I think they're my guts. <laughs> I, think, I think Sarah Louise is somewhere in that too, though. She doesn't think she's good enough. She doesn't think she's worthy enough. She doesn't think she's loved, even though on the outside, she has super, she's great potential to do all of this stuff, but she doesn't think she's ever going to get there. Yeah. <sighs> and that's, it's when I, I put the word hard truth in the question, but then I followed with it up with a word of encouragement. For some people, your hard truth is a word of encouragement. For Sarah Louise, her hard truth was, you can do anything you want to. Doesn't sound like a hard truth, but it was really, really difficult for her to absorb that. And she, it took someone special, someone that she respected, to say it to her before she could actually believe it. And that's, I guess, what I wanted people to think about with this question, because it has so much relevance for the church. That in the church and in our in our Lutheran schools, you have all these trusted, respected, outside adults who can tell you things that maybe you couldn't hear clearly coming from your own folks. Mm-hmm. That I can think back to my youth group leaders. I can think back to my Concordia College professors who said things to me that maybe my parents had said, and I'm in, um, whatever, you know. <laughs> But when these wise, older Christian mentor types spoke, I listened. And I really, really hope and pray that there will be those same people there when my kids need to hear something 
that I may have told them 10,000 times until I'm blue in the face and they ignored it. And Mm -hmm. then when they hear it from that other person, it sinks in. And honestly, I don't care where it comes from as long as they get it, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why I want to, I want to recognize and celebrate the Hiram Wallaces, the Mm -hmm. people who can tell you something that you need to hear when you need to hear it. I mentioned in the, in the thread that Mine was a Concordia College professor, Ann Arbor. Yay. Sorry, River. (laughs) Sorry, you Chicago people, not River Forest. My bad. Who told me I should go to grad school when I said, What do I need to go to grad school for? I'm going to marry a pre sem student and we're going to have babies and it's going to be wonderful. And what am I going to need grad school for? I needed it. (laughs) I have needed it a thousand times. And I'm so thankful that I had someone in my life who spoke a word that I could listen to that I went and and did it. All right, before we close, I also have a question that I think we need to talk about. And that is the last question. It was really hard for me to actually ask this because the the question, to paraphrase it, was, did the ending bother anyone else? Mm. And as a Lutheran lady, I don't like to necessarily be critical of things that I otherwise love. And I love this book. But the ending bugs me where Sarah Louise gets off the island and suddenly everything starts happening in fast motion uh, until we get to a scene right at the end where she's at a birth delivering a set of twins very much like herself and Caroline and has a chance to sort of redeem some of what, what went wrong when she herself was born. But I'll put it to you. Did you guys like the ending? Was there something about Am I crazy that I was bothered by it? <laughs> I don't think so, but I almost wonder, because I I saw this come up again and again on this question, is we were told how it ended. We were not shown how it Mm -hmm. ended. So it seems like the author put a lot of energy and thought into all of the bad parts of Sarah Louise's life and all all of the bitterness that had sort of, you know, just built up over time. And then in a matter of pages, she gets married, she has kids, she has a successful career as a midwife in the Appalachian Mountains. However, I almost wonder if that is strategic. Again, this is me sort of seeing a lot of similarities in my life to Sarah Louise, where we sort of carried around a lot of baggage and bitterness and inability to compete with other things and not not attaining dreams or anything like my young adult life into probably my mid 20s was Sarah Louise for me if I ever take the time to like recount the the trials and the tribulations of my life whether I imputed them myself or not there is still like those times seem so much longer and so much more arduous and takes so much more energy than to look on my successes. And I I wonder if that's maybe what the author is getting at is Mm. we tend to look more at our failures and our, our bad times over longer, like they feel longer, Mm -hmm. but then you have these blessings and these successes that like that you can, you just sort of think back on and that's, that's it. Because I think that's that's very much the approach that that the author took in this in this book. Yeah, that there is a I don't know it. Everything slows down when Sarah is going through these moments of slow motion crisis, 
But when she gets past it, everything speeds back up, back into normal time. I think another thing that really, I've just this moment been able to realize it, was that I fell in love with the island. (laughs) (laughs) The island really became another character in the book. And so when Sarah Louise only found her peace by leaving the island and never going back, I grieved about that Hmm. because I wanted to be there. I wanted to stay there and I wanted her to get to stay there. I didn't want her to have to give up the island to find her peace, which is what she had to do and which is what we often have to do. We have to give up something very dear to us, very close to us in order to heal and move on and find a better place. But that doesn't mean you don't grieve over it. So maybe I'm still missing Rass Island. <laughs> I think along with what, what you guys were both saying, there was a jarring a jarring nature to how she she did want to jump ahead in time. But she didn't want to just ignore that. She could have just, I guess she wanted to be able to connect. But I felt like at the very end, it did get back into the original rhythm and style. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had like this little fast forward section to be able to bring us to the current day because she's been sort of reminiscing, right? She's been telling it as an adult looking back on that time. And so it like, it caught us up to the present day. But at, at the end, when it gave then, it slowed back down into her, her life and it got back into her voice of bringing us into the story where she is acting as a midwife and she finds herself in this crisis situation again and how she engaged with the the situation and then processed that, that did actually feel like, I don't know, I, I felt like she did a really nice job of giving us that picture. It still felt like Sarah Louise. So mm-hmm. it didn't feel like it was... There wasn't like a disconnect of this isn't even who who is this person? This doesn't resonate with who we've gotten to know as a as a teenager. But you can see now how she has grown as an adult and you know grown into a much healthier person and how she is finding herself in this situation. And it I don't know, I felt it was believable there, but you're right, there was that odd sense of that where she was trying to catch us up and bring us and explain how she very quickly, how she got to where she is now as this adult. But I did like how she then finally gave that, that small little final picture of her, you know, in the crisis, helping with delivering the babies, finding, you know, like, whoa, I'm in the same situation. I'm (laughs) focusing on the, the, the sick child and forgetting the healthy one. And, oh, now I see I have much more sympathy for everyone I was so bitter to before. And then also she's walking home. Anyway, I just felt like it did finally get back into the original voice. But there was that odd disconnect there in the middle when she was trying to bring us up to up to the present day. So there was this, I guess, you know how the kids like to count when they're, when they're playing hide and seek one, two, skip a few, 99, a hundred, <laughs> one, two, skip a few. Wow. What a powerful way to end a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I liked the content of the ending. I, I loved how it circled back. It just felt like it, it just ended <laughs> like, yeah, well, but wait, <laughs> well, but, would it have been better if she had just ended it with her leaving the island, 
like not give us any of the resolution. I, I was sort of toying with that idea, like as, you know, with as an editorial decision, would that have been better to just end with, okay, I'm, I'm going to leave the island and leave I it there like and not give us anything. That's yeah. too Hollywood. It's it is. And <laughs> like I said this on this on the, this question, my answer. This is probably the greatest difference I feel reading this book now versus ten plus years ago in a different stage of my life. Um, the ending when I was a young lady in college ticked me off. It made me so mad. I'm like, she needs to go get her man. And slap Caroline across the face. (laughs) She needs to get her life. And now that I've gotten older, I've gained some maturity a little bit. (laughs) Questionable. Like the ending that she was looking for, I feel like she got. She Mm -hmm. earned. And it was my own perception of how the book should have ended that needed to change. I love one line in the book. It's right near the end where her future husband, and we know next to nothing about him, which really frustrated me. Oh, I wanted to know about him. Uh, but he, he says to her at their first meeting, God in heaven's been raising you for this valley from the day you were born. And I think that's a beautiful takeaway from this book that when we look look at our current hardships, we often are tempted to think, woe is me, what a miserable life, why, why, why? And looking back, so often we can see exactly why, mm-hmm. that God is at work in our lives, using even the hardest parts to shape us into the people he wants us to be. Amen. Yep. And so that's what I take away from this. When you're tempted to uh, navel gaze and see nothing except all the reasons you have to be bitter in life. Remember, God is using even those for his purposes. So, yeah. Yep. All right. Are you guys ready to pick a new book? Yes. Oh, this is like my favorite part. I love this. I know. <laughs> the only so, election I'm looking forward to this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, the uh, I, I got myself in a bit of a pickle this morning. I had what I called quarantine brain fog. Um, where I'd been thinking for days, trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do next in the book club? Because I want to do something really good. A lot of us are spending more time reading now, which is fantastic. Please keep it up. But I wanted something really, really good for us to dig into next. And I couldn't think of anything. So I did what anyone should do in that situation. I got onto the Lutheran Ladies Facebook group page and I said, help! wanted to do a memoir we haven't done a memoir in the book club yet and that's a wonderful sort of like middle ground between the fiction and the non-fiction not that memoirs are fictional at least they shouldn't be anyway people chimed in with their favorites and came away with so many books to read not all of which i think i can you know i went onto the short list for this discussion however there are a lot of them that are on my long list of to reads. Um, so thank you everyone who chimed in. I was going to have this short list be seven books long, but we need to be disciplined. So we're going to have four <laughs> books, four books. Otherwise y'all will be here with us for the next week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, and Bree, uh, you said this morning that you slept through the whole thing. 
Um, which <laughs> is honestly the perfect way to spend a Saturday morning. So I <laughs> so heartily approve. But all of this is, is new to you. So I'll give you a little information as we go along about each of our four finalists. Again, each of these has been suggested by uh, someone in the group. Okay, first up, we have the memoir Unfollow, a memoir of loving and leaving extremism by Megan Phelps Roper. Now, if you recognize that maiden name, it's because she was part of the Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. And (laughs) a church that is mostly made up of members of of, uh, Reverend Phelps's extended family, including her. She's his granddaughter. And um, so she grew up with this uh, extremist Christian group protesting in some of the most controversial ways possible and wrote a memoir about, well, loving and leaving that lifestyle. That's choice number one. Choice number two, we've got Kate Bowler's memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. This is a memoir of basically coming away from the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you are a good Christian and live your life well, God lets good things happen to you and not bad things. Yeah, well, that's, that's all well and good until as you do, sometimes if you're Kate Bowler, you get cancer and you realize well, I'm going to need something more than this to get through this because if I get cancer, that must mean I'm a terrible Christian, but uh, I'm not sure that works. Hmm. So we've got Westboro Baptist Church. We've got Prosperity Gospel Meets Cancer. Book number three is by Hyun Seo Lee, The Girl with Seven Names, A North Korean Defector's Story. This one, sort of the subtitle says it all. We have a young woman, young woman who grew up in North Korea and eventually decided to leave. So that is a story that I will, would be very curious to know what it's like. I, I think the whole world is curious to know what it's like to live in North Korea and just as curious to know what it takes to get out of North Korea. And then finally, book number four is by Edie Wadsworth. All the Pretty Things, the story of a Southern girl who went through fire to find her way home. So this was a, a young woman who lived, grew up in poverty, a poverty-stricken world full of alcohol and violence and had to find a way out. I have it on good authority that Edie Wadsworth is actually an LCMS Lutheran, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. And so I would, I would be very excited to read this just as I'd be excited to read all the rest of them. So what do you guys think? What are we going to read next? I open the floor to discussion. Okay, so I thought I knew which one I was going to vote for only because it was the one I was familiar with, but now I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I was going to vote for Megan Phelps Roper because I watched her TED Talk oh, on this yeah. subject, and her TED Talk was incredible. So I would be curious to read that anyway, but I, I, mm, I'll i stick with it. <laughs> okay, we have a vote for... Um, Megan Phelps Roper loving and leaving extremism. All right, Bree or Aaron. Man, I I don't know if I'm in the right frame of mind to read something like that right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, 
I too, as we entered into this discussion, was like, I really want to read that one. So, if that has to be the tiebreaker, then yeah, we'll go with that. But I, I'm very interested in that fourth book that you that you presented to us as well. It sounds like that might be a, an uplifting tale. That's a great title too. All the pretty things. Yeah, we all like all the pretty things. Correct. <laughs> I'm with you that all of the all each of these books does sound fascinating. The prosperity gospel one is one that actually my dad had at some point sent me she also has a ted talk and he sent me the ted talk and said this might be something for the lounge to discuss (laughs) (laughs) oh aaron's dad That's like, it. Oh, look at that. I do this, dis- <laughs> this discussion is over. No questions, Your Honor. So, so there is that. The one, uh, all the pretty things, also sounds interesting. I always love stories from other cultures, so that's great. And I've I've heard really excellent things about Unfollow that it's a fascinating book. So I'm not I'm not a good one to help break the tie here. But if we're if if we are sort of leaning towards Unfollow, then I'd happily jump on that bandwagon. But Rachel, often you're the one that sort of has to go with the your instinct about what we really need to read next because Agreed. You haven't steered us wrong yet, so oh. that's true. The speedback. <laughs> no uh, pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Throw it. Okay, so we have uh, one vote each. It looks like for all the pretty things, unfollow, and everything happens for a reason, and other lies I've loved. I love um, that title. Including, and I gotta say, uh, you know, Tony Alter's vote does count. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so but as so happen so often happens we have to choose one and we have to a go with our gut as aaron says and b realize that not yet is not the same as not ever so there's nothing that says we can't come back to these books all right all right all right i'm gonna make the call here do it and i'm gonna say all the pretty things (laughs) and now i'm i'm second guessing myself immediately no 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 own it own it it's okay no all right so here's a this this book sounds a little bit like one that i also want to read that came with rave reviews in the lounge uh hillbilly elegy and so this it's sort of like the lutheran girls version of that i think Hillbilly Elegy, someone mentioned there's a language alert in there, so we decided not to put that on our shortlist this time. There were a couple of other books, and I'm sure you all know that picking a book to read all together is very different than picking a book to read on your own. Mm-hmm. For example, someone suggested Trevor Noah's Born a Crime, which I am now definitely going to be reading because it looks amazing, and yet it also it seemed like a bit of a fraught ch- choice. I can't even watch a YouTube video from the guy without feeling like, oh, Trevor, you crossed the line again there, dude. Um, (laughs) So this is not a comprehensive, exhaustive list. And I'm so grateful for all the suggestions because I think a lot of people got some really good ideas 
from mm-hmm. that thread. Y'all um, delivered. Yes, for sure. Got these books that have been mentioned here to the the file with the books that we discussed but didn't discuss. Wow, that doesn't make any sense at all. Didn't make the code. <laughs> yes, there is a document that, that Sarah hopefully maintains um, <laughs> that includes all the books we choose, but also all the books we discuss but don't choose because we can only do so many books. So yeah. we'll add a bunch of these to that list and hopefully you all will be well in books for a long time to come. There's so many books on my to-read list that there's like, I don't know when I'm going to get to them all. <laughs> so, um, And I just looked up all the pretty things. It is available as an ebook. And if you're on, if your library does Hoopla, it is on yep. Hoopla, which is where I'm going to get it from. So it is an accessible title, however you like to read your books. And audiobook reading is reading. So I love get it on audio. <laughs> This so book club audiobook thing has been life changing. I have not read this much in like fifteen years. <laughs> so to recap, Jacob Have I Loved was awesome. Great discussion. Thank you, everyone. Our next book is Edie Wadsworth's All the Pretty Things, the story of a Southern girl who went through fire to find her way home. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Me too. So to find the discussion, to find the book club, you can go to our Facebook group, The Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Rachel will have an event posted there when it is the proper time to have the event posted. Click going to that event and you'll get the uh, notifications. You can find it in the events tab, either on your, your web browser or in your app. I think the discussions have gotten better every time. So I'm really looking forward to the discussion on on our next book. Find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcasting app or at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.